Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Okay, here we are Monday, and it's already wackadoodle times. Uh, so we're heading into a holiday weekend. Uh, next week will be a brokered week, so I'm not even sure how much of the show we'll have or we'll need to have. It's kind of a, a play-it-by-ear, wing-it sort of scenario. I start today, however, telling you I'm in total lockstep agreement with Brian Kemp, his spokesperson, Cody Hall, and the likes of Eric Erickson, talk radio host of the uh, conservative ilk. <laughs> because their fringe, and by their, I don't mean those three, the right's fringe has gone absolute batshit crazy on the heels of the judicial decision that Mayor Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, has a $148 million tab to pay. Of course, he'll never, he'll never, he'll never have to pay even a fraction of that, but still, uh, for defaming two women, two Fulton County elections workers. And almost immediately, the QAnon ish type fringe mouthpieces and social media accounts started circulating tweets that Governor Brian Kemp, had insisted to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger that something be done because, and again, this is according to the to the whack jobs on the fringe right, the, the MAGA right, that there were 17,852 invalid votes, more than 4,000 votes, more than necessary for the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, to have actually won the state of Georgia. These fringies are calling on other folks to just show up at the Georgia State Capitol tomorrow morning at 8.30, Wednesday morning at 8.30. Remember when those who would protest social unrest were impugned with, well, don't you people have jobs? Why aren't you going to work? Let me set the table just a little bit for you. The Politics Georgia podcast blog at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution today sort of started off with some, some vagaries, and I don't even know how this article made it through editorial purview because I come away with questions immediately. This uh, penned by Greg Bluestein, Tia Mitchell, Patricia Murphy, and Adam Van Brimmer at the AJC. Here's exactly how this article starts. In fact, let me refresh it just to make sure because maybe it's been edited since I last saw it, but it just, eh, it doesn't have the citations needed. Uh, first line, the lie materialized on Friday afternoon and went viral on far-right social media accounts, just as a federal jury ruled the former President Donald Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, must pay $148 million to former Fulton County election staffers he falsely accused of voter fraud. There is no link in that first line to the lie. The Post, next paragraph, The Post, there's no link. The Post wrongly claimed that Governor Brian Kemp's legal staff notified Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger that more than 17,000 invalid, they put that word in quotes, votes were tallied in Fulton County in 2020, echoing debunked conspiracy theories that Trump's allies have pushed for years. The accusation was quickly repudiated by state officials, but that didn't stop Trump's loyalists from spreading it. Eh. Marjorie Taylor Greene from Rome even used the invalid vote myth to suggest 
Those who called her a, quote, conspiracy theorist were wrong. She did. She tweets, retweets, I should say, the December 15th tweet from uh, an account from Leading Report, at Leading Report, breaking. Georgia Governor Kemp's legal staff has notified Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger that 17,852 invalid 2020 votes were counted in Fulton County, Georgia alone. A public meeting will be held next week at the Georgia State Capitol building. What they don't tell you is anybody can insist that folks show up to the Georgia State Capitol building. And so that's what the minds at uh, Leading Report and BKK Politics, Brian K, I'm sorry, B. KP politics. Sorry, Brian. Brian K. Pritchard is the. Does he not look like Donald Trump? Like a, a less mangoish version of Donald Trump. Anyway, Brian K. Pritchard, who by the way had been accused of voting multiple times in one election himself, there's some irony, is howling mad and on his Rumble streamed video show. We should call it podcast with a crackpot from Houston County by the name of Joe Rossi, just continuing to spread this misinformation. But lo and behold, flopping in the boat, reeled in, flopping in the boat, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We were told we had perfect elections in Georgia in 2020. I was called a conspiracy theorist for saying we had election fraud in Georgia in 2020. And then she retweets the leading report. Gabriel Sterling from Brad Raffensperger's office tweets... Earlier today, it's 2023. We are still dealing with the lies. Some spread them because they believe them, despite all the facts. Others spread them for one of three reasons. Distraction, create division, continue grifting for dollars, or some combination of those three. Kim Senior Advisor Cody Hall, retelling the same lies for three years does not make them true, even when citing bogus online blogs. The moon landing was real. Bigfoot does not roam the forests of North America, and the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen, he says. Eric Erickson, you know I am no fan of Eric Erickson, tweeting earlier today, just a reminder that if you believed the tweet below, he's speaking of the leading, rep- the leading report tweet, you are a sucker, a stupid person, and an idiot all in one bag of flesh, and you should revoke your own voting privileges for being too stupid to meaningfully improve our republic. Ooh. Eric Erickson, by the way, is totally Team DeSantis. So there's a little motivation on his part to aid his guy by taking down the man far and away leading in all major polls for the GOP nomination for president. And that would not be Ron DeSantis. I'll also point out, by the way, that Eric Erickson spent a good deal of time on his show today explaining to his audience not all of whom are Ron DeSantis fans. I'm sure some, I think a, a good percentage have to be MAGA followers too, right? Because he's a conservative talk host on a lot of major talk radio stations, including the big conservative talk station here in Metro Atlanta. That any among them who are still clinging to this big lie from those in media or politicians or attorneys of politicians, that they're they're duping those folks. He literally went on this rant and said they're they're just either hanging on to profit personally or perpetuate to keep themselves in the limelight. Get that. Eric Erickson is telling his audience they're being lied to. Well, by other people, not by him, of course. 
Then, of course, I'm sure he rolled into an Omaha Steaks commercial or something like that. Nonetheless. Oh, man. Even Elon Musk's X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it, unleashed community notes on the leading report tweet. There's no such claim about evidence of invalid votes in Georgia. A dismissed lawsuit once claimed 17,852 ballots lacked accompanying image files, but retaining image files was not legally required at the time. Multiple hand recounts found no problems with those ballots. Ouch. Even Elon, Marge, even Elon is telling you, shut the f*** up. Okay, so honestly, spend an inordinate amount of time on this again, unnecessarily again, but I, I felt like maybe it's just one of those situations where you should be forewarned. If you start to see social media clatter, or maybe you did over the weekend, if you start to see social media clatter about some kerfuffle or a showing of protests or whatever tomorrow morning for the Georgia State Elections Board hearing, that that's where this is all stemming from. They're three years in, still clinging to a huge lie. I mean, this is exactly why Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss insist that they had to move away. They had to go into hiding. They Their lives were forever changed and irreparably damaged by mouths like Rudy Giuliani, who, by the way, coming out of the courtroom, guilty and found to need to be paying $148 million, still insists he has evidence. He just didn't feel like it was worth his while to testify and, and give this evidence up in court because he felt like the fix was already in. This just feeds that entire mindset from a batch of people who have completely had everything go their way from the day this country was founded, and because they don't win one election, it's it's temper tantrum city from the coddled clique that's had everything set before them. Of course, led by a man who was born into wealth, coddled by wealth, obviously sheltered from anybody telling him, you know you don't exactly speak well, right? You don't stop acting like a petulant brat. Nobody ever told him this, obviously, because he still don't speak too good and is a petulant brat in his late 70s. It's it's just been breathtaking to watch this all play out. I, I, I would say as far back as 2016, but at, at the very least since the end of election night uh, back in 2020. It's just breathtaking to watch this all play out. Okay, so there's a lot more stuff to touch on in today's show. Batten down the hatches. This is going to be a full docket. Um, there's uh, new developments in the Clarence Thomas case. ProPublica out with new information. Like, when did him becoming billionaire's sugar baby start to take hold? It actually stemmed from him going to someone to ask for a raise. As a Supreme Court justice, a raise. Mm -hmm. So uh, they've evidence of that. We will lay all that out for you. The governor has decided, hey, there's $16 billion to burn. Let me start lobbing it out by the hundreds of millions. His, uh, his latest little gambit and throwing some money to each school for security 
instead of talking about the issue that causes these schools to need the extra money for security. Eh. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, oh, oh. Cobb County Democratic Party Chair Eric Allen joins us. And uh, the, the timing couldn't be more perfect. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution out today with a bit of a summation on the dumpster fire that is the Cobb County School District, the school board, the superintendent, and those clowns working in their, I guess their public information office, the, the main office there, who have ties to an SPLC-labeled hate group. Uh, Eric Allen joins us to talk about that and all the redistricting maps that affect that county. And there are more than just the three. You've, you've got a, a new redraw coming up for the school board. Uh, that should could cure a lot of what ails the Cobb County school system. So we've got all that. And I'm sure there's some other things that I'll dabble into as well when the Ron Show returns here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Monday. So, uh, at the end of the show, I'm going to dive into the latest ProPublica piece that talks about Justice Clarence Thomas going to a congressman to inquire about a raise or else justices might start resigning. It, it, it reads like a mob piece, right? Sure would hate for you to lose your uh, votes on the Supreme Court, you know? And uh, yeah, so <laughs> we'll dive into that uh, at the end of the show. I really want you to, uh, to catch that. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is the latest journalistic entity to catch on to that. Do you smell that? Is that, a, is that a dumpster fire up there? Oh, it is. It's a dumpster. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that smell. Yeah. Uh, that would be Cassidy Alexander at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution now diving in to cover the Cobb School Board, uh, the Cobb County School District, and the... Uh, criticism that they're dealing with over responses to some recent controversies. And this article, by the way, so well-written, very good summation of all that's going on. And a lot of this has been covered in the past by uh, guests of the show, frequent guests of the show and reporter uh, with the Cobb County Courier, uh, Rebecca Gaunt. I think I've called her Becky a few times on, uh, it's because it's like what I see on her Twitter. Anyway, um, Cassidy Alexander at the AJC writes, Georgia's second largest school district faces mounting scrutiny about how it responds to critics, including a student, and most recently about the past writings by some members of its communication team. Amid recent debates on topics ranging from book bans to public speaker signups on top of longstanding partisan tension between the district's elected officials, more attention has focused on how controversies are handled and who helps shape the district's messaging. Next paragraph. Three administrators in the Cobb County School District had ties to the leader of an anti-LGBTQ plus group, the Cobb County Courier recently reported, after reviewing writings published online before the employees served in their current roles. Hat tip Rebecca Gaunt at the Cobb County Courier for that. The online publication's investigation uncovered a series of essays penned in the last decade on some far-right websites by Julian Coca, the district's director of content and marketing about homosexuality and other topics. The websites were connected to American Vision, an organization that supports the death penalty for homosexuals, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Cassidy continues, Eric Rouch, a digital content specialist for the district, also worked for American Vision as a director of communications and as a vice president at a related company after that, the Courier reported. John Floresta, the district's chief strategy and accountability officer, penned essays about education for connected sites, including one titled, does public education stink from 2013? 
In one article attributed to Coca, he wrote that homosexuality is, quote, culturally destructive. Cassidy's piece in the AJC continues, and we talked about this last week with Rebecca Gaunt from The Courier. The district did not dispute any of The Courier's assertions. Instead, it questioned the credibility of reporter Rebecca Gaunt and the outlet, hinting at past issues with accuracy and, quote, doxing of employees. Y'all, doxing of employees is not, uh, hey, we filed a freedom of information request, we want to look at your emails, and then exposing the emails with a lot of the incendiary language that has been uncovered. No, doxing would be like going back to 2013 to find something that someone who wasn't an adult then tweeted and exposing that tweet. I mean, that's, I mean, it's fair game. It should be a warning to kids who get on social media. Be careful what you say, because it can come back to bite you in the ass later on. But that's doxing. Actually exposing wrongs written into business or organizational emails when those emails are to be made available to the public, that's that's not doxing. But the district said, it's a sad day when schools must take time away from students and teachers to comment on a freelance writer's attempt to dox veteran teachers, stalk their families on social media, what? And pull their children into the news, the district wrote in a statement. However, the very same people who crafted that statement were found to be discussing students who were going to speak at a school board hearing and tying them to their parents' role on the Cobb election board and surmising whether that would be a good or a bad thing for mom on that board. As the AJC reports, some of the messages made public were about a student, Lily Mossbacher, who was interested in speaking at public comment period at the school board hearing. A junior at Pope High, she wrote an op-ed for the AJC in September, criticizing the district's recent moves to restrict reading materials for students. District officials heard that she was thinking about addressing the board in September, and records showed they gave each other a heads up. Her mother, Jennifer Mossbacher, serves on the Cobb County Board of Elections, which is involved in a lawsuit over the district's redrawn school board maps. Quote, so she probably doesn't want to be in the limelight on this particular issue, one message read. It was weird. It's kind of creepy. It kind of freaks me out. How my administrators were publicly talking about me behind my back, said Lily Mossbacher, who thought the adults at her school and district would have been impressed that she took the initiative to get her ideas published. I think they care because it's giving them a bad rap in the press. It's kind of ironic, she said. And by the way, Lily Mossbacher never signed up to speak at that meeting. If you missed it last week, by the way, we had Jennifer Susco and Michael Garza on from the Cobb Community Care Coalition, a, a group that has formed in recent months because of all the antics with the Cobb County school system. The firing of a teacher over reading a book about inclusivity to her fifth grade class, the book bans. There is a movement now to have the superintendent replaced. And then we learn about the, the three goons with ties to the hate group inside the communications office. You've got redrawn maps now ordered, uh, a, a judicial order for that coming for just the school board. Like the General Assembly has to come back for another special session. Or maybe they'll just wait till they're in session in January. I don't know. We'll see. To redraw school district maps. This is all evidence of a county that. The minority, conservatives in Cobb County, have lost their grip on, except for the one body 
of politics, and that would be the Cobb School Board. They're clinging, ever so loosely clinging, to the one government body inside Cobb County that Republicans, again the minority, have control of. And when I share with you this article from today's AJC, and again, Rebecca Gond at the Cobb County Courier has covered a lot of this and been on top of this story. But when you actually listen to what experts on doxing and public relations uh, speak about, Cassidy Alexander at the AJC reaching out to some experts on that field, it, it should be even more embarrassing to the superintendent and the employees of the school district. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk with the chair of the Cobb County Democratic Party, Eric Allen, about that and about the other and many map redraws affecting Cobb County governance. And is this a precursor for what Georgia will be like in the next 20 to 30 years? I think it will. When the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, my guest this afternoon is Democratic Party Chair Cobb County, Eric Allen. Eric, how are you, buddy? I am doing well. How are you, sir? I'm good. So uh, what's happening? Now, I mean, <laughs> we've been covering so much smoke from uh, coming uh, coming from Cobb County that uh, I just figured it would be a good opportunity to reach out to you and uh, just have a, a good general consensus Q&A. So uh, the, 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 the latest that we're seeing now is there's going to be yet another map redraw for the General Assembly to convene for in January. And I'm sure they would have loved to have known about this prior to having the last session they had, but so be it. Um, the Cobb County School District maps have to be redrawn. And uh, I'm curious to hear what the county party's take on that is. Well, we, we saw this coming because the the school school board had tried to intervene into these maps earlier. And the judge kind of kicked them off the case. And there was a settlement agreement between the Board of Elections and the plaintiffs uh, on these maps. So we always knew that this act was going to happen. Kind of similar to what you said, hope, we were hoping that it would happen during the special session period mm. uh, where it could have gotten dealt with. But it looks like we're we're going to be dealing with this in the early days of the session uh, come January. And there's also been map quarrels uh, at the county commission level as well. Obviously, we've uh, we've had uh, Commissioner Jerrica Richards on a, a couple times in the last year or so, and so th- that's that's been contested. Uh, the, the 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 county going with home rule. Uh, there, there's obviously some disagreement from Republicans on that, and then we, we've got the the congressional maps themselves, where Miss Richardson's not even sure where she's going to be able to run at this point in time. I'm I'm curious your reaction to the uh, General Assembly drawn maps that were passed by the governor and sent to the judge. Well, you know, if, before I give you my thoughts on those, just just ponder for a second. I, I thought about this the other day. Every single map that governs elections in Cobb County mm. are under judicial scrutiny. Yeah. So, so like you just said, every single map, the school board map now has to be redrawn by uh, early January. The um, congressional and the state ledge are now in the hands of the judge. Mm. Uh, we, we have a, a hearing on the 20th. Uh, for that, and then we've got by the end of the year, Judge Harris has said she's going to rule on the commission map. So, so you're right. There, there's a lot of flux right now, and people, uh, it, it, it's really a disservice, mostly to the voters of Cobb County, mm. that we are going into um, 
you know, an election year, almost qualifying, almost in January, the presidential preference uh, coming up in March. And most people don't even know what districts they live in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I expect this to continue for some time. I, I fully uh, expect the judge to not accept the state legislative and congressional maps. Mm. In, in, in order, I think the congressional maps will definitely be drawn by a special master. Mm. Um, I think the state Senate maps are also likely, I think the least likely, but still likely, are the state legislative, state house maps. Uh, so, so I think Judge Jones is going to have his hands full. The hearing is going to be on the 20th. I, I would assume that uh, the that Judge Jones is going to move fairly quickly on these uh, these state legislative and congressional maps. Uh, you know, if, if you recall, two years ago when he had this case, he didn't want to make a ruling or do anything. And it was in January because he said it was too close to the election. So I would assume that as we get into middle to late January, the same thing would apply. So I would assume that he's going to make a ruling fairly quick. Um, on these maps. And, I, and I'll also say that I, I believe that Judge Jones may skip the special master process because if you look at his, his, his uh, ruling, his order, he used the illustrative maps by the plaintiffs multiple times in his 516-page opinion uh, mm -hmm. or, or order. So I think it's extremely likely that he just picks those maps up and says, look, I wrote 516 pages about these maps. I think they're good maps. I'm just now going to order the legislature by special master to pass these maps. Um, and, and I think that's a lot more likely than, than a process of wasting more weeks of drawing uh, congressional and state legislative lines. And that's all fine and well, but that, that wouldn't necessarily be the end of the judicial process. That can always be challenged. Well, if, if you think if you think so, this is where it gets real complex for the for the for Judge Jones and the state legislative and the congressional acts. Um, if you follow what the Supreme Court did in Alabama, mm -hmm. it, it was a matter of weeks getting that all the way through the appellate process to where the Supreme Court stepped in and said, nope, these maps have to be redrawn. So I, I think that that's the precedent that we're looking at with these maps, because they basically found the same fundamental flaws in the Georgia maps that they did in Alabama, which means that the precedent is already there. You could possibly fast track. So those maps, I would assume, could get through the entire process in time for qualifying. So if you get new school board maps, you get the com uh, the, the county commission map to, to reflect the will of the voter. It would seem, dating back to at least 2016, that the will of the voter is a moderate liberal bent and not the conservative bent that Republicans in that county and at the state level are clinging to. Uh, but does does a fresh school board solve all of the problems that we see surfacing from that school district? You, you know, it, it'll start because I, I have been very slow to get on the train that uh, we need wholesale changes in Cobb County mm -hmm. at the school, at school board. Mm -hmm. However, uh, over the last year, what, what you've seen come out of the administration of the Cobb County schools mm -hmm. is, is too much to tolerate. I mean, th there's always been a, an element of, of race with the Cobb County School Board. And now I, I know that people will take offense to that. The school superintendent himself at the Cobb delegation meeting the other day said that the only reason he's defending the maps is because people are trying to call him racist. Well, the problem with that is is now you have a federal judge calling you racist, basically. You have a federal judge. No, and I, I mean that seriously. Yeah. I don't mean that flippantly or as, as a yeah, joke. But no. if, if, you read, if you read that opinion, 
not only did they say the the maps were racially gerrymandered, right. but they went, went so much as to talk about the process and how the white members excluded the non-white members of the board in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and I want people to understand what that means because we've had school board members like Jaha Howard and Sharice Davis yelling about this for years, that most of the decisions that they make do not come down on you know, uh, the, the R&D line. They, they, they're coming down on racial lines. Mm. Uh, you, you now have the school uh, hiring people that have clearly worked in leadership roles for for anti-LGBTQ groups. Yep. How, how is that supposed to be inclusive for our students? And now you have a superintendent who not only wasted millions of dollars during COVID on laser machines and hand-washing machines that never even got installed, but you now have the, the superintendent spending over a million dollars just to keep his job. So let's be clear what this, this map fight is about. They are spending a million dollars plus, almost two million, not on educating Cobb kids, Mm -hmm. but making sure that they engage in a political process to hold on to the board so the superintendent can keep his job. That's what we're dealing with in Cobb County. So yes, if these maps do get drawn to reflect the voter in Cobb County, just like everything else in Cobb that has been more to a a moderate left-leaning county, the school board will also, and we can put an end to a lot of the craziness by having a wholesale change at the top of the superintendent's office all the way down to the school board. We're on with Eric Allen. He is a chairperson for the Cobb County Democratic Party. We're uh, talking uh, about the, the latest to come out of the Cobb School District and uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution finally picking up on the story that Rebecca Gaunt and the uh, Cobb County Courier have been uh, on for quite a while. Uh, as Eric alluded to, uh, there are at least three members of the Cobb County School District's main office who uh, have ties to uh, a hate group, an SPLC-sanctioned hate group uh, out of Powder Springs, Georgia, uh, the AJC again picking upon that today and even expounding on it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 Cobb County Care or the Cobb Cares Coalition had been uh, exposing some of the uh, inner workings, the inner memorandums of these uh, individuals, even stooping to the level of speaking about kids in the school system who would potentially speak out at board meetings. Uh, I'm sure you've had a chance to review that. Were you as yeah. gobsmacked as I was? No, because this is what the board, those that have been following the board know that this board has been doing some very, very um, just untoward stuff. Um, they've gone as far as to move the location of a sign-up sheet yeah. for people who want to get public comment, mm. which caused an all-out scrum yeah. where you had people being hurt. Mm. You had a student walk away with bruises mm. because he just wanted to speak during a meeting. So they've censored speech. They've hired people that are that are affiliated with hate groups. They they've been fiscally irresponsible with money. They have silenced anyone who speaks out. Even teachers uh, have been uh, you know fired basically by not renewing contracts mm-hmm. because they've spoken out against the administration. So for people in Cod County that have been following our schools, this is nothing new. And it is completely unacceptable. And the only reason it's allowed, the only reason it's happening is because of the racially gerrymandered maps, not my words, a federal judge's words, Mm -hmm. and the mistreatment of non-white board members. 
So, so this is this is something that has been going on, and I, I am extremely excited that members of the, of the media mm. are picking up that story and putting it out there for people to read, because those are the things that we have to change. That's why these elections matter, um, and that's why gerrymandering matters. That's why it's important that we fight these maps the way that we're fighting them at every single level. The population of that county has shifted quite a bit in the last uh, two decades. So there, there may be some yes. newish residents who just aren't aware of the history of this county. And for those who don't live uh, in or near Cobb County or just maybe sort of new to Georgia, there, there may not be an awareness of the history, the reflection of uh, where this county has come from. This used to be a don't say gay county. Literally, you, if you were a business or, yeah, I mean, you could not, yeah. You could not cater to the LGBTQ plus community in Cobb County without, you know, the heavy hand <laughs> coming down on you. And to, to, to see the change where, uh, I mention this all the time, Hillary Clinton carried uh, Cobb County in 2016. Stacey Abrams carried it twice, 2018, 2022, Joe Biden in 2020. That is not a fluke. Cobb is now a blue county. Uh, talk to me uh, about that 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 see change that you've seen in your time with the, the, the county party and since being involved? So uh, let me put some, some numbers to that. So in 16, Clinton won uh, Cobb County 48 to 46 against mm. Trump. Yeah. Abr- Abrams won 54-45 against Kemp in 18. Mm. Biden in 20 won 56-42 against Trump. Mm. Warnock in 22 one fifty-seven forty. Mm. So if if you look at the trend in Cobb County, Cobb County is definitely becoming more blue to the point of, of 56-57% now being our baseline. Yeah. So so when you think about that, the only way that the 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 right who had been a stronghold in Cobb County, people forget the Tea Party was founded in Cobb County. Right. Um so the the the, the only way to hold that control and have the mi- minority basically govern the majority mm. is to gerrymander these maps. And and I ask people who are new not to even worry about the long history, the the, the don't say gay. We, we originated don't say gay in '96 with the Olympics, right. which got us barred from some events. Mm-hmm. So Cobb, so we don't even have to go back to the to the long history. Well, like I said, I urge you to go back to the recent history, the last two to three, four years. So look at what's been going on. The school board is the last governing body in Cobb County that has a majority of Republicans. And they are doing everything they can to hold on to it. And they're also doing everything they can to appeal to their dwindling base by doing all of these crazy things, the, the book bannings, the, you know, I don't know if you all covered when they sent the letter out to all. Oh parents. my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> that that, that oh. basically. I mean, talk talking about not knowing your audience. Right. I mean, this is a six percent Democratic county, and they sent out a memo from their their law firm that basically says these leftist, um, you know, Democrats are trying to take over your uh, trying to take over your your schools. Well, most of the people that I know that got it were like, "Well, good, let's let them do it. Maybe it'll be better." Uh, but, but that, that's the that's the stuff that we're dealing with, and the things that we got to really, you know, make sure that we're building that narrative on, you know, for this year, so that as people go to the polls, they truly understand what they're voting for. Mm. I, I feel like Cobb County is a, a little bit of a precursor for what the rest of Georgia is going to be like for the next uh, twenty to forty years. Would, would you agree with that assessment? You know, I, I say it on the national stage all the time. I said it when I was in the legislature. 
So goes Cobb County, goes Georgia. So goes Georgia, goes the country. And I think this 2024 election is going to be the same. Very interesting stuff. All right, Eric Allen, chair of the Democratic Party, Cobb County. I appreciate you giving us some time and uh, joining me on the run show today. All right, thank you. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Monday. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp making some news today, uh, doling out $1,000 bonuses to teachers and state employees. I mean, there's a $16 billion surplus he's sitting on, so $300 million out the door there. Uh, also, another one, a uh, $45,000 allotment to every public school in the state of Georgia. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot uh, required of the school to report what they're going to use this money for. So that's a little interesting. The uh, allotment will be built into Georgia's annual base budget, uh, according to the governor today uh, when he uh, made the statement at the state capitol, which means that the schools can either use the funding in long-term plans or a one-time payout. He said, this is how now going to be part of permanent K-12 school funding a landmark payment we're doing, and we're trusting our educators and our leaders elected at a local level to use this money in the right way to protect our teachers and our kids. Again, without a lot of details, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot asked of the schools to provide how they spent that money. Uh, Democrats, of course, uh, bristling at the idea of schools having to spend more on safety as opposed to, I don't know, sound gun policy. Uh, that money is a band-aid to safety concerns that require real solutions. That is State Senator Jason Estevez in a statement. Fully funding mental health services and responsible gun ownership laws would do much more to prevent a safety issue on campus than reinforced entryways and more armed personnel. House Minority Leader James Beverly calling the money a drop in the bucket compared to the needs of our state. We can't celebrate crumbs while ignoring the banquet right in front of us. Our students, teachers, and everyone living here deserve better. And all this amidst a multi-billion dollar surplus. He continued, It's like watching a family struggling to buy groceries while sitting on a pile of gold. We need more than gestures. Okay, let's get to the juicy story I wanted to end the show with. Another piece from ProPublica written by Justin Elliott, Joshua Kaplan, Alex Muzierski, and Brett Murphy insinuate that... Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas started enjoying the bounty of the gravy train from billionaires, sugar daddies, after going to a congressman in the year 2000 to complain about his pay. The article begins, in early January 2000, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was at a five-star beach resort, boy, funny how that happens, in Sea Island, Georgia, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. After almost a decade on the court, Thomas had grown frustrated with his financial situation, according to friends. He had recently started raising his young grandnephew, and Thomas' wife was soliciting advice on how to handle the new expenses. The month before, the justice had borrowed $267,000 from a friend to buy a high-end RV. At the resort, Thomas gave a speech at an off-the-record conservative conference. He found himself seated next to a Republican member of Congress on the flight home. The two men talked, and the lawmaker left the conversation worried that Thomas might resign. Congress should give Supreme Court justices a pay raise, Thomas told him. If lawmakers didn't act, quote, one or more justices will leave soon, maybe in the next year. At the time, Thomas' salary was $173,600, equivalent to over $300,000 today. 
but he was one of the least wealthy members of the court. And on multiple occasions in that period, he pushed for ways to make more money. In other private conversations, Thomas repeatedly talked about removing a ban on justices giving paid speeches. Going a little further down the article, Thomas comments in 2000 were to Florida Representative Cliff Stearns, a vocal conservative who'd been in Congress for 11 years and occasionally socialized with the justice. They set off a flurry of activity across the judiciary in Capitol Hill. His importance as a conservative was paramount, Stearns said in a recent interview. We wanted to make sure he felt comfortable in his job and he was being paid properly. Further down, on a commercial flight back from Awakening, this retreat that they had at Sea Island uh, in uh, Georgia, Thomas brought up the prospect of justices resigning to Stearns, the Republican lawmaker. Worried, Stearns wrote a letter to Clarence after the flight promising, quote, to look into a bill to raise the salaries of members of the Supreme Court. As we agreed, he wrote, it is worth a lot to Americans to have the Constitution properly interpreted. We must have the proper incentives here, too. Stern's office soon sought help from a lobbying firm working on the issue, and he delivered a speech on the House floor about judges' salaries getting eroded by inflation. Thomas' warning about resignations was relayed at a meeting of the heads of several judges' associations. L. Ralph Meacham, then the judiciary's top administrative official, fired off the memo describing Thomas' complaints to Rehnquist, William Rehnquist, the Supreme Court justice, his boss. I understand that Justice Thomas clearly told him that in his view, departures would occur within the next year or so, Meacham wrote of Thomas' conversation with Stearns. Meacham worried that, quote, from a tactical point of view, congressional Democrats might oppose a raise if they sense, quote, the apparent purpose is to keep justices Antonin Scalia and Thomas on the court. The article points out Scalia had nine children and was also one of the less wealthy justices. Scalia, Meacham, and Rehnquist have since died. Next paragraph. It's not clear if Rehnquist ever responded. Several months later, Rehnquist focused his annual year-end report on what he called, quote, the most pressing issue facing the judiciary, the need to increase judicial salaries. Several people close to Thomas, the article states, told ProPublica they believed that it was implausible the justice would ever retire early and that he may have exaggerated his concerns to bolster the case for a raise. But around 2000, chatter that Thomas was dissatisfied about money circulated through conservative legal circles and on Capitol Hill, according to interviews with prominent attorneys, former members of Congress, and Thomas' friends. Quote, it was clear he was unhappy with his financial situation and his salary, according to one friend. I'll share this story, of course, in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. I mean, do you not hear this and just note the irony yourself? I don't have to put this together for you, do I? Conservatives loathe big government. They don't like paying government employees, unless, of course, it's military and cops. Or, in this case, Supreme Court justices. But can we get some billionaires to do it for us that we don't have to... Yeah, this is, uh, and, and Clarence Thomas, one of the linchpin conservative justices who can't make it on $173,000 a year. He and his wife taking out some pretty pricey, hefty loans to buy things like RVs and other home, not, not first, second homes, and then has to have billionaire sugar daddies come in to make sure that they get to travel the globe and live the high life. <laughs> 
Oh, and, and of course, we, we remember Harlan Crow buying mom's house, renting it back to her at rock bottom rate after... No, I'm sorry. She gets to live in it for free, doesn't she? After, of course, the renovation, that's not at all super creepy or shady or anything. But, but conservatives want to make sure that those who are on government assistance, well, they need to make some hard decisions about how they live, right? But for Clarence, the consummate welfare queen, totally different set of standards and rules, right? You can't make this stuff up. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com. Show notes and more at RonShowATL.com. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great evening.